poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you until the end of the hour. In the studio today, it is with great pleasure to be featuring a live radio adaptation of an obscure 1912 play called Mr. Sampson, a play in one act. Put together in conjunction with Mike Rosso, Mullumbimby Drill Hall Theatre Company Artistic Director. Now, this is a gem that Mike picked out especially for the Bohemian Beat. Mr. Sampson, a plain one act, is by Charles James Lee, an English writer and editor who lived between 1870 and 1956. He was known as the man with the green pen for his writing and editing skills. Born in London, he published five novels in the late 19th and early 20th century, as well as many short stories and plays about the working people of Cornwell. He spent seven years living in Cornwall from the year 1900 to improve his health in the seaside town of Newland, which was known for its better climate. Now, Newland is located in western Cornwall on the shores of Mounts Bay, this huge sweeping bay on the English Channel coast of Cornwall. He lived amongst the group of artists who formed the Newland School, which was originally called the Painters of Newland. Now, this artist's colony came about in the 1880s when a number of artists flocked to the fishing town. But before we introduce the play, we will start with a poem about Newland, read by Brenda Wooten, a Cornish poet and folk singer. This is my town where chapel-top streets of tilting houses tumble downhill to the arms of its mother and child harbours. This is my town of vanishing cobbles, of iron scars left by railings that went to war, where a granite pillar in a November garden grows weary with its weight of names of the men who went. The good as gold wouldn't be told, boys. My town of one river and five bridges of five pubs and one church, of uplong and downlong, of carnivals and kids, refugees, evacuees, of games and girls, gossips and grannies. My town, where memory is a Sunday of best suits and clean shoes, of endless sermons and hard, hard pews, when the guns at the quarry are spiked and dust gets its weekly lie-in, 
when stuffed gulls sleepily eye the church and the chapel-goers, and men collect behind their news of the world, one eye in each head on its Sunday pint, when the customs office is closed, no smuggling on Sundays by order, and the only sound in the fat and full harbours comes from a Frenchman. And what can you expect from them who spits from his smelly crabber at the sodden silence? My town of salt and ice, of ropes and tar. My town that has changed, where the voice of the foreigner is heard in the strand, where the houses are blue, and no one knows any more or cares who lives next to who. My town, my yesterday town. See the beaten fisherman dreaming in his sleep. His rocking chair is rolling over oceans. And that was two tracks by Cornish folk singer Brenda Wooten called To the Sea and before that her poem Newlyn. Mr Sampson, a play in one act, was first published in 1912. The play was awarded the Lord Howard de Walden Cup at the British Drama League's Festival of Community Drama at the New Theatre, London, February 1927. 
The play focuses on two spinster sisters, Caroline and Catherine, who live a peaceful life in a country cottage in Cornwall. However, that peace is disturbed when their new neighbour, Mr Sampson, a man in his 60s, makes a proposition. And now the Bohemian Beat would like to present, in conjunction with the Drill Hall Theatre Company, Mr Sampson, a play in one act by Charles James Lee, starring Judy Borham as Caroline, Georgia Martin as Catherine, and Mike Rosso as Mr Sampson. <laughs> We begin in a country garden in the early 20th century. One of the sisters, Caroline, sits by the fire, a gentle, timid woman in her 40s, darning a sock. Her thoughts wander in a dreamy fashion as she converses with a tall grandfather clock. Four o'clock, Grandfather. Sister's late, ain't she? She don't used to be so late, market day. You know that so well as I do. Tisn't often you put she to shame. Wish I could say so much for myself. Four o'clock Saturday afternoon and the bacon not begun and Mr Sampson's socks not finished mending. Oh, scandalous. I'm ashamed to look in the face, Cranford, that I am. Ashamed to look e in the face. What's keeping her, I wonder? She haven't been so late from market, not these fifteen year. And Mr. Sampson coming in any minute now to pay his rent and looking for a bit of a chat and me never knowing for the life of me what to say to him. Ain't enough talking to you, Grandfather, but a real live man that to ask questions and look to be answered back. That's different. And I haven't got used to him yet. He's another of your regular ones, Grandfather. Slow and sure, like it might be yourself. And I often think he favour you about the face, round and solemn-like. And he growl in his throat when he's going to say something, just like you before you strike up. But you're an old friend, Grandfather. Oldest friend we got. And we'd never set eyes on thee three months ago. So you needn't be jealous. No, Grandfather needn't be jealous. <sighs> yes, if you'll mind, it's just three months come Tuesday since he come to live next door. And considering of it one way, it might be three years. And considering of it, another wait is more like three weeks. But that's the way with time, Grandfather, And always will be. But all your stiddy tick-tocking. Either tis crawling around like a worm. Or else, or else tis walloping along like a butcher's cart. Oh, me. Sister's late, Grandfather. Never knowed it to be so late before. If something should have happened. <coughs> Afternoon, ma'am. Mr. Sampson? Sister in? No, Mr. Sampson, not yet. I'm getting a bit anxious. She don't used to be later than four and tis past 
that? Then you're all alone. All alone? Won't you step inside, Mr. Thompson? Uh, no, no, thank you. Can do very well where I be. Uh, got a muscle of backy in me cheek, you see. Uh, more convenient for spitting out here. <coughs> Thought I heard talking as I come up the path. Judge was to his sister come home. Talking? Oh, twas only me chattering away to myself. Leastways, <laughs> I was conversing a bit with Granfer here. Granfer? Oh, aye, the clock. Conversing with Granfer, eh? <laughs> well, now there's a circumstance for it. <laughs> and tis foolishness, I allow. But I often chat a bit with Granfer when I'm alone. He's capital company, most like a Christian. Sister to say he's as good as a man in the house. You see, Mr. Sampson, tis he that do rule our comings and our goings, telling us to do this and do that all the while. Now tis to get up and light the fire, and then tis to bustle and get dinner. And then again, tis to rake out the ashes and go to bed. Yes, Grandfather's master here, I believe. So tis natural for two lonely females to look up to him and think a brave lot of him when they haven't nobody else to be dependent on. And they ain't a steady clock, nor handsomer in all the country. A stately old chap, sure enough. <clears throat> Those my socks? Yes, Mr. Samson, they're almost done. Hope you found the pasty to your satisfaction. Capital pasty, to be sure. You take a lot of trouble about me, ma'am, you, you and your sister. No trouble at all, Mr. Sampson. We couldn't do other, and you all alone next door with nobody to do for you. And no more notion how to do for yourself and a newborn baby. I'm a terrible poor hand at the cookery, that's certain. Frying pan, I don't say. But a man can't live by frying pan alone. And as for the darn in a sock, well, I've tried. Twas like a fishing net. The more I mended, the more the holes came. Well, I reckon I'm pretty and comfortable now. <laughs> Never was so comfortable in my life. Glad to hear he say so. Anything we can do for you, you know you've only to say the word. Oh, thank you, ma'am. You're very kind. There is something I wanted to say, uh, something particular I got to tell you, or came in for the purpose... But seeing as how it do concern both of ye, I, I reckon I'll wait till sister comes back. Can't think what's keeping of her all this while. Never before she been so late. Mr. Sampson? Marm? Would ye mind, if tisn't any asking too much of ye, would ye mind going up the road a step or two to see if you can catch a glimpse of her? Oh, certainly, Marm, if you do wish. No occasion for you to worry, though. She can take care of herself very well. Howsomever, if twill aid your mind, I'll go so far as the crossroads and take a observation. Don't you fret, she'll turn up all right. He's walking awful stiff, Granfer. A shame to turn him out again, just when he was settling himself down comfortable. But I couldn't do no otherwise. 
It is all right when sister's here too. But to sit down alone in a room with a man? No, I couldn't bring myself to it, even if it was a proper thing for a maiden to do. Something particular to tell us. I want to know. Can't be going to give notice. Or oh, nonsense. Don't be telling such foolishness, Grandfather. You ain't one of your changeable ones. You know better than that. Never so comfortable in my life. Those were his words. You heard him yourself. Wonder what it can be, though. Oh, if it should be. Oh, ridiculous. He never given no sign of that by word or look. Besides, if it was that, Grandfather, don't he see he wouldn't wish to tell but one of us, whichever it was. And he said, particular, to us both of us he wanted to say it to. Oh, well, us'll know presently. <gasps> Grandfather, ten past four. Something's happened. I know it up. Oh, Katrina, oh, deary dear. Tick tock, tick tock. You don't care. If it was judgment day, you'd go on with your tick tock till the fire catch thee. If the truth was known, you're nothing but a cage of wheels after all, and no more hot to eat than a waterberry watch. There. I didn't mean to speak sharp to ye, but you know how desperate things grow. You struck seventeen yourself when we moved the last spring clean. <gasps> Tis all right, Grandfather. Here she is at last. Thanks be, thanks be. Catherine, what is it? Our sister, what's the matter? Oh, my dear nerves. Oh, that I should live to see the day. <gasps> Never shall we hold our heads up high again. Sister, we are disgraced forever. Sister! <laughs> Stop crying, Caroline. Do I give you something to cry about? I can tell you that, I promise thee. I fancied whether something was up last week when I come to, to see some of them putting their heads together and nodding and grinning upon me. Mrs. Park and the old Vanham, she was one, and Grace Budley was another. And then they two put their heads together. They bent concocting no, no testimonials, you may be sure. But I didn't take no notice. I'd scorn to take notice of the looks as such as they. Well, today I sold the chickens. Chickens are down to one and nine, and I'm lucky to get that. I sold the chickens, and I bought the flour and the sugar and the meat. Nice bit of fat pork and sixpence worth of gravy beef and everything but the butter. <laughs> butter is terrible scarce this week. Gone up tuppence, and everybody sold out. All but Mrs. Parkin. She's always the last to get rid of hers, and good reason why. Mm. Well, I was bound to get some better. It was only her dirty old muck. So I went and bought a pound of her, and I, I won't say, but what I might have sniffed to it a bit when I took it up. But she didn't say nothing. Not until I paid her and she got her money safe in her gown pocket. Trust her for seeing to that first. And then she said... Very good butter, Miss Stevens, says she, daring of me, like to say, twasn't very good butter. But I wasn't going to tell no lies to please the likes of she. You may be sure of that. So I said, us'll have to make do, Mrs. Parkin, seeing you ain't no butter to be had, says I. So then she up and say, you didn't used to be so particular, says she. 
Reckon your fancy man must have had a terrible difficult stomach, says she. Fancy man? Sister, whoever? Only one just hereabouts that I know. Mr. Sampson? That's the chap. Our fancy man, yon and mine. And then she said the word that might have knocked me down with a feather. Couldn't find a word to answer back and I could feel myself going blood red all over. So, Grace Budley, she was standing by waiting all over. <laughs> she was standing the chance I didn't out, the old cat. So she up and say, Well, may you blush, Catherine Stephen, says she. If you take a friendly word from me, says she, you'll hurry up on that half-baked sister of yourn and make a best of a poor job, says she, and get your old Mr. Simpson to take an... And an honest woman of one of the other of ye, as soon as may be, says she. <laughs> Shameful so tis. We've always kept ourselves to ourselves and never speak a hard word nor scandalous word again. Nobody. How can they leave us alone? Somebody's got to be done and done to at once, too. Where is he? I was here just now. Got something particular to say to us. Wouldn't say it, not till you come home. Went out to look for you up the road. I came round by the path over the downs. That's what made me so late. I wasn't anxious to be meeting people by the road, as you can guess. Oh, got something particular to say to us of him. Well, perhaps we've got something particular to say to he. Sister, you never tell him. A day of shame if you tell him. No, I don't know. Something's got to be done, if only I can think what my poor old head does all of a maze. Sister, the gate. I heard the latch. Somebody's coming. It's him. He shan't come in, though. Never again shall he set foot in this house. There. Grieve, just say it, Mr. Samson, but you can't come in. How? What's up with thee? I can't tell thee, but you mustn't come in. Will he please go away, Mr. Sabson? No, I, I reckon not. Uh, not till I know what's the matter. Oh, dear, I beg of thee, go. Not till I know what's up. If you'll open the door, you can tell me comfortable. I won't come in if you don't wish, but I'm bound to know what's up. He won't go. What's to be done? If I should tell him... Well... He won't go if I don't tell him something. I'll wrap it up so well as I can. He'll be off quick enough when he know what it is. He shan't look at us in the face. I'll take care of that. Keep outside, if you please. We can't look at he in the face. If he must tell we tell he, we must. But we can't never look he in the face again. So bad as that? Worse. Worse than anything you could think for. Mr. Samson, they're talking about us. Us? You and we. Tis all over the country. Scandalous talk. Or that I should live to see the day. If you'll kindly give me the particulars, ma'am. We never thought no harm. Twas only neighbourly to offer to do for ye, and you all alone and so helpless. Tis a sin and a shame to say such things. Say what things? Say... Say that it is high time that you took to married one of us. <laughs> That's a stale old yarn. Heard'n weeks ago. Don't mind telling you, I mightn't have thought of it else. Thought of what? Why, courting of to be sure. You don't mean to say you... Y yes, I be, though. 
This fortnight comes Sunday, if you'll kindly take it so, and no offence. The very thing I was coming in to talk about. <laughs> Curious how things two turn out. But we never notice nothing. No, tisn't to be supposed you would. Just like the cooking, you see. I, I'm terrible poor hand at it. Now tis out. Be it vexed, I hope. Ah, uh, no, but Mr. Sampson, I... There, think it over, will he? There's the saving to consider of money and trouble both. And I've put it by a pound or two. Not so young as I was, but we're none of us that. And not so dreadful old, neither. I wouldn't think apart in you. I reckon we could be pretty and comfortable together, the three of us. Though, of course, I can't marry but one of ye. So talk it over, will ye? I, I'll be around again this evening. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, and today we are presenting live in the studio Mr. Sampson, a play in one act by Charles James Lee. Inside the country cottage, the two sisters, Catherine and Caroline, are in deep distress, for Mr. Sampson has just left without giving an indication of which of the sisters his proposal was for. Caroline sits down overwhelmed. Catherine, after a moment of blank bewilderment, rushes to the door. Mr. Sampson, will you please come back for a minute? Uh, well, ma'am. Uh, excuse me for asking, but would you mind telling which one you were thinking of, of, of courting? Oh, now you'll be laughing upon me. Which one? Well, I don't know which one, and that's the truth. But it don't make no odds. Settle it between yourselves. I ain't been no ways particular. <laughs> Lar, Mr. Sampson, who ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> That's right. Laugh so much as you've a mind to. Oh, sister, laughing too. <laughs> well, now we're comfortable. Reckon I can step inside now and, and no scandal. Yes, I'm like the cat in the bonfire. Don't know which course to steer. I've turned it over this way and, and I've rolled it over that way and, and I can't come to no conclusion. Always seeing of each together, you see. I, I can't party, no how. No more than milk from water. But it don't matter, as I said, if you'll be so kind as to settle it up between yourselves. Oh, we couldn't do that. <laughs> couldn't he now? It wouldn't be proper. Well, you know best. Only I don't exactly see. Catherine's hmm. hmm. the best to manage things. Caroline's the best cook by far. <laughs> That's where it is. The pair of you rolled up together would make a complete masterpiece. A man couldn't look for a better wife than what the two of you'd make. That's where it is. Nor I can't see no way out of it. Not in a Christian country. Ah, these heathen Turks. They know a thing or two after all, don't they? Mr. Samson, I wonder at he. Oh, tisn't to be thought of, I know that. But I can't think upon no other way. Oh, without we should spin a halfpenny and bide by the fall on un. Oh, never in this house. Don't see how we shouldn't. Tis just the same as cast and lots, and that's a good scripture observance. The regular way with these old patriarchs, so I'm given to understand. Only twas shekels with them, I reckon. But shekels or halfpennies, tis all one. <laughs> tis uncommon like pitch and toss, and I can't fancy Abraham and Isaac could do of it. But... If you're sure it is scriptural. Sound Bible doctrine, my word for it. Ain't that so, ma'am? I mind a text in Proverbs which does say, The lot causes contentions to cease. There, see now. 
The lot causeth contentions to cease. Oh, aim straight at our case. Out of Proverbs, too. Old Solomon's the chap for we. Uh, see how he settled that argument about the baby. And there was two ladies in that. Well, then. Now, if I should turn up the old queen, then tis Catherine. But if tis the young lady with the pitchfork, then Caroline's the one. Up she goes. Well, I'm darned. Well, if it had been a lime ash floor now. What's wrong? Or fell in a crack on the floor, my dear. Sticking their edge up. And no head to him, nor yet no tail. <laughs> Old Solomon himself couldn't make nothing by him. Well, how come you to have a timber floor to your kitchen when mine's lime ash? Twas father's doing when the houses were built. He always liked to take his boots off of an evening. And lime ash is that cold natured. Tis apt to give it chillblains through your stockings. <laughs> to see how things do turn out. Twas ordained. A token, sure enough. And father's eyes upon us this very minute, I shouldn't wonder. Mr. Sampson, I doubt is all foolishness, and we'd best say no more about it. Oh, I don't see that. If your father didn't choose to wear slippers, that ain't no lawful reason why I shouldn't get married if I want to. I must try some other way, that's all. If we should wait a bit, Mr. Samson keeping away from us meanwhile, perhaps his heart would speak. So I might, but then again I mightn't. A mazy old organ, I believe. Absence makes a heart grow fonder, so they say. Oh, that's very well. But how if it should make it grow fonder of both of ye? Where does be then? <laughs> well, we'll try, if you like. Oh, I fear tisn't much use. A queer old state of things, to be sure. Like one of these mixed-up old yarns in the storybooks. Well, some capital yarns in these storybooks, though I'm given to understand they're mostly lies. And by what I can see... I've no patience with thee drooling along about your storybooks when you ought to be down in your hands and knees asking our pardon for bringing us to such a mess. A man of your age and don't know how to make up his mind. I have no patience with thee. Oh, oh. some spirit there. You make me feel as if I was home again, living with my sister. She's just such another. Many's the time she'd have lured me across the head with a rolling pin when I wasn't quick enough about something to please her. And nobody ever made a better wife than she. Twice over, too. I wonder now. Well, I don't know. Like to like, they say, and I'm a quiet one myself. And so far as looks do go, oh, I don't know. Well, ma'am, there ain't nothing else for it that I can see, so we'll try your plan. All the same, I can't help wishing I'd been born a heathen Turk. Bye-bye, then. He's gone. Getting on for half past four, time to pitch baking. I'll make a heavy cake, I reckon. You can if you've a mind to. I've no opinion of your heavy cake, nor never had, you know that. Replace yourself. I'll make one, I believe. Where's the flour? In the basket, of course. Where else would it be? There. Paddle away with your old heavy cake. I'm going to see the chickens. Oh, Grandfather, what's up with sister that she should speak so sharp to me? And what's up with me? I nearly answered her back. 
Poor me. Don't be much of a cake, I fear, Grandpa. I don't oddly know what I'm doing. There, if I hadn't nearly forgot the eggs. You've been taking those wine daughter eggs. Supposing I have. You know very well I was going to, to set Toppy on those eggs today. Supposing I did. Then how come you to take those eggs? I, I shall take what eggs I've a mind to so there. A mean trick so tis to make my to take those eggs and what I've been saving up for Toppy and she in her box this very minute as you do very well know wearing her heart and feathers out over the chainy nest egg that Poor, fond little beauty of all the mean tricks to take my oh, eggs. You and your beastly old eggs. <laughs> oh, oh, sister, sister, dear, to think of it. All those years with never a cross word and now... Oh, oh, drat the man. Sister. Drat the man, I say. I wish you'd never set eyes upon him. Serve him right if we send me about his business. Sister, when we both as good as promised to him. Besides, he wouldn't go. He's awful obstinate for all his quiet ways. Well, a week's notice will set him quick enough. Catherine, we couldn't. Good man. To be slighted by two in one day and be turned out of house and home beside? We couldn't. It do seem hard, but but we can't go on like this. That's plain. Perhaps he'll make up his mind after all. Well, that'll be worse and worse. You can't choose but one of us, and then where'll the other be? Tell me that. <gasps> Sister dear, I... I bent in no particular violence to get married. Caroline Stevens... There's the Bible upon the shelf. Lay your hand on that and say that again if you can. I can't. No. And the same for me. And here we be, the two of us, careering around out of one man of, of our age, too. Tis shameful. Too silly old woman, that's what we are. Oh, no, sister. Too silly old women. But it shan't be so. Thanks be, I got s some sense left in my brain, though my heart is a coddle of foolishness. It shan't be so. The longer he stay, the worse twill be. How couldn't he make up his mind before he spoke? Twouldn't have happened so then. Twas forced upon him to speak. So twas. Well, I mustn't be hard on him. Twas doom, I reckon, and better if doom should keep to his battles and murders and sudden deaths instead of coming and plaguing quiet, decent folk like we. Well, Doom shan't have it all his own way, nother. There shan't be no jealous wife or no single-thoughted sister-in-law in this locality. Sister! Such dreadful talk. Well, tis my duty to speak plain. There's bound to be suffering come out of it, but anyhow we can choose to suffer respectable. Go he shall. Catherine, he's coming back. And oh, if I do live, He's got clothes on. Gloves? That he'd make up his mind already. But it's too late now, and he shan't name no name, not if I can stop it. Twill be harder still if we know. Now, Caroline, you too soft for this job. You leave him to me. Don't say a word, and whatever you do, don't start crying. We've got to be hard, or we'll never get we'll never get rid of him. Hush! Mr. Sampson, you kindly take a week's notice from today. 
I'm a daisy, old buffalo, I know, and I don't exactly seem to get the rights of this. There ain't no rights to it. Well, he stopped doling, sister. Tis all as wrong as can be, and time to put an end to it. Nor you mustn't ask why, for we, we never can tell ye. We grieve to put you out in any way, and we, we grieve to part with ye. But go you must, and no questions asked. If I bean't mistook, marm, there was words passed between us concerning matrimony. Foolish words. Foolisher words never were spoke, and they've got to be took back. Oh, if I bean't mistook, uh, I was told to go away and make up my mind, uh, or my heart, as you may say, if so be I could. It's too late. Say no more about it, and we'll be thankful to you all our lives. Oh, but if, if I bean't mistook, I, I've now returned to say... I've come to a conformable conclusion at last. I've come to say, with due respect to the other lady, who's good enough for anybody, I've come to say I've pitched my choice on the lady I should wish to commit matrimony with. And the name of that lady... No, don't! You mustn't. You shan't. It is hard enough already to, to don't go making it harder. Whichever it is, her answer has got to be no. Ain't that so, Caroline? With the best of thanks, all the same, and hoping you won't think too hardly of us, and, and never shall we think uh, other than kindly of you, and proud we would have been, either one of us, if it, if it hadn't been ordained otherwise, as you mind we said to once when the happeny stood in the edge, and, and... Oh, will he go and not stand staring there like a stuck peg? Very well, ma'am. I be it one to force myself on nobody. Nor I be not going to state no grievances... Nor ask no questions, nor mention no names. I'll take these gloves off, then. Oh, here, give them here, you'll spoil them. Give them to me, let me fold them proper. Oh, thank ye. Bought them for a funeral I didn't go to. Never put them on today. Queer how things do turn out. Well, if I got to go, then the sooner the better. This flower was meant for the lady of my choice, not to mention no names. The sooner they're better, so I reckon I'll be off now. I, I can get a bed at the inn down yonder. Or capital beds at the inn, so I'm told. And I'll send up for my bits of things later. Three shillings rent for the week and next. According to the law of the land. Well, Mr. Simpson, we can't take... Please, if you please, ma'am. According to the law of the land... Not wishing to be beholden to nobody. And that's about all, I think. Well, goodbye. Won't you shake hands before you go? No, I, I don't think so. Tis the Christian thing to do, I know, but, but there ain't no mistake about it. I, I ought to have been born a heathen Turk. Goodbye, then. We've done what's right, so it don't matter what he think of us. I don't care for one. I wonder who the flower was for. Give it to me. I'll take care of it. Meant to be for the lady of his choice. Maybe you think... I've so much right as you to think. It shan't be so. I'll throw it in, into the fire with it. And there's an end to it all, and a proper end too. Dust and ashes. And now, sister dear, crying won't help us. The work will, so they say, else. Time to get on with the baking. 
Kom. Passo. Listening to the Bohemian Beat, broadcasting nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our live performance of Mr. Sampson, a play in one act by Charles James Lee, brought to you today by the Drill Hall Theatre Company and starring Judy Borham as Caroline, Georgia Martin as Catherine, and Mike Rosso as Mr. Sampson. Well, thank you, everybody. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you, Rudy. We really, really enjoyed it. And thanks for giving us the opportunity to do it. Well, it was just, it's such an incredible play and it was well done to, to find that. It was very obscure and difficult to find information on it. 
And it certainly makes me consider about how difficult it was for unmarried women in the day. Scandalous gossip and snooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Per- very well. Very hard, very hard for them. If they, I mean, they were probably living, you know, in very subsistence level, um, quite poor, struggling. I mean, yeah, it was tough. And it, we just said it's before the war. Things are going to change. You know, in a couple of years' time, things will change. And their most valuable thing was their good name, their reputation. Mm. They had little else. Mm. And as frightened as they were of being left alone spinsters on the shelf, they're also rather scared of getting married. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think the play is as much about the two sisters separating and having this man come between them as it is about um, you know, them being spinsters and all alone. It's about their relationship mm. as well as Mr Samson. And I think it's a lovely, it's a delightful play. It's a world that we probably don't know anymore, but it, that's part of its charm. Yeah, and no, I felt a bit sorry for Mr. Sampson. <laughs> he was very, he was very comfortable and pretty, and he liked it there, and he didn't want to have to go. So yeah. he knew what he was on about, and uh, he yeah, could yeah. move on. <laughs> Be two young women, I mean. <laughs> so it has a kind of Byron Bay um, resonance, I think. Oh, what are you saying? There's lots of spinsters around. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, oh, Georgia knows the song, but. Um, no, I think uh, I think it's that, that kind of you know free love kind of you know polyamory. Mm-hmm. I think he was a, a an early polyamorist. Ah, the Turks, <laughs> the heathen Turks. The heathen Turks. Yeah. You have their reputation. Yeah. <laughs> reputation of all things. Yeah, in those little small towns was their reputation, and they're probably good Christian girls. They went to church on Sunday. They would have, yeah. As as did everybody else in the town. Yes, yes. Grand Fair would have chimed the hour and they would have put their best on, Sunday best on, and gone to church. Yeah, that time just keeps on ticking on. Tick, 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 tick. Now, the Drill Hall Theatre Company, I mean, it's just been absolutely special, Mike, to be able to put this together. And obviously I've actually done a work with lots of members of the Drill Hall Theatre Company over the years. And so it's an absolute delight that you're able to sort of come in and, and organise this and, and that we could just do this. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the Drill Hall Theatre Company and how people can get involved? Well, we see ourselves very much as the community theatre company and, uh, and we work very hard to, um, to be part of the cultural life of, of the Byron Shire and hopefully a little bit wider. And uh, yes, we, um, one thing I do, which people certainly can get involved in, is um, every Monday night, from 6.30 to 8.30, I offer free acting workshops. They're free to members of the company, and it's only $15 a year to join. But people are welcome to come along at any time. There, There's no pressure. You don't have to be intending to perform on stage. You just have to enjoy coming along and, and having your creativity um, enlivened. And later on this year, you'll be holding our short play competition. So I'm sure there are lots of writers out there that listen to you, Rudy. Anyone who would like to write a 10-minute play, uh, go to our website, uh, drillhalltheatre.org.au, and uh, you'll find out the details of our short play competition. And there are cash prizes to be won. And anyone who comes to the Monday workshops will have an opportunity of being in those. As well as that, we've got a, a night of cabaret, or six nights of cabaret coming up in early June. And then later on in the year, we're doing a, a co-production with a Welsh theatre company. So we do reach beyond the Shire. And that's going to be really fun. That's by um, Patricia Cornelius, who's a, 
um, a really very out there, um, quite risk-taking Melbourne writer. And this is a, a lovely play about, um, well, about a, a bunch of older people who think they're on Scott's expedition to the Antarctic. <laughs> <laughs> I could be gone for a very long time. Oh, I think. Okay, well, Mike, Judy, Georgia, thank you so much for joining us on The Bohemian Beat and making this show so special. I love live um, radio. I just can't get enough of live radio. So I hope everyone's enjoyed the show today. And, of course, I will be back next week. Same beat time, same bohemian frequency. In the interim, check out the website, thebohemianbeat.com, for more information and podcasts. So we will end with a track by Kate Rusby called Who Knows Where the Time Goes. Thank you for joining us on the Bohemian Beat.